Feels like we've been in church this morning, doesn't it? Praise the Lord. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll continue in our Stay the Course series on the book of 1 Corinthians. Let's start reading in verse number 1. We'll just read the whole chapter. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Well, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. Lord, there's so much here. And I pray today that you'd help us to deal with it honestly and openly. I pray, Father, that our hearts would not be blinded by uh, any uh, unwillingness to hear what is here. I pray, Father, that we would just open our hearts to you and that you would teach us today. I pray for myself, Father, that you'd fill me with your spirit, that I would not say anything I ought not to say, but that I would, I would not have the slightest concern about saying things I should say. Help me, Lord, to just preach the word as you would have it preached today. And, Father, I pray you would speak. And once again, I pray, Lord, if there's even one here today who doesn't know you as Savior, may they hear today. May they understand today. And I pray the Holy Spirit will just open with, uh, awaken within them a desire to know you as Savior. Uh, just bless this time. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I have this past week developed several complete sermons based on this passage. Would you like me to preach them all to you this morning? I couldn't figure out which one to do. I just kept stopping and starting over and over again in my mind. And I think part of the reason why that is, is there are just several important words or phrases that jump out at us from this particular passage. For example, there is a word here in verse number, uh, where is it at? Verse number nine, the word homosexuals. Did you see that there? And I, I have got to believe that probably most people in this room sat up just a little bit straighter when you heard that particular word read from the pulpit. And so did I, as I was studying it this past week. You know, we have got so many lies and so much misinformation fed to us about that particular word in our society today. There are many in our society today that think I should be thrown in jail for the fact that I've already mentioned it once from this pulpit. I've read a passage of scripture about it from this pulpit, and I'm about ready to tell you that it's not a good thing. And there are many people in this country who believe I should go to jail for that. So I was, this week, somewhat serious in my study as I was trying to think about how I would I would talk about that particular thing that is a word that we need to we need to think about today there's another thought though that leaps out of this passage uh, could probably be a whole nother sermon maybe someday will it deals with our liberty in Christ goes along very well with what brother Phil spoke about this morning in his Sunday school class uh, and as I pondered and, and prayed over this passage this week, I, I came pretty well convinced that this may be the, the quintessential passage where Paul explains to us what that really means, how our liberty in Christ really works out in our lives. And so those two thoughts alone, I, I really struggled with whether or not to make those separate messages. But then there was a third thought that came to my mind, and I believe really is the key of this entire passage, and it's neither of those two. I think those two are keys, a little K, but I think big K key is one that, that will explain all of those. And so here's how I want to tackle this this morning. I won't preach a whole bunch of messages to you. I'm just going to preach one, but here's how we're going to do it. We, we dare not ignore that word homosexual. We cannot in our society today. We can't skip past that in the Bible. And so uh, I, I think we have to talk about it. So that's going to be point number one. I'm going to talk about what the Bible says about that. And there is enough confusion surrounding, I believe, our liberty in Christ, just as there was in Corinth, that I, I don't think we can skip over that. So that'll be point number two. But then point number three is going to be the point that I hope will draw it all together. I think it's the main thing in this chapter, and I think it's a key to understanding all Paul is trying to say to us all throughout chapter six, including even what we talked about last week, and that is this thought. We are not what we once were. We are not what we once were. And that would be point number three. So let's talk first of all, let's look at verses nine and ten, and let's talk first of all about what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. Homosexuality. The fact is, we have been sold a bunch of lies when it comes to this matter of homosexuality. We've been told that it's a choice. We've been told that it's a lifestyle. Of course, both of those things are true, but they're only partially true. They're not the entire truth. We've also been told that those with homosexual tendencies are born with that tendency, that it is somehow genetic, that it's just the way people are wired. Of course, that's also partially true true after all all sin is genetic is it not all sin is hereditary at least in a way my bible tells me in romans chapter 5 that therefore just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned 
Jumping down to verse number 18 of Romans 5, we read, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. All sin is hereditary to a point. We inherited our sin nature from our great-great-granddaddy, Adam. And so all of us have a, a tendency towards sin. Homosexuality is no different than anything, any other sin in that respect. And so that, too, is partially true. The thing that we are told that it's a tendency that people are wired, it's partially true. But again, it's only part of the truth. Because the plain and simple truth from the Bible is that homosexuality is sin. And it is plainly discussed in these verses, is it not? There are two words used here. I'll let you study these out on your own. Two words which describe both sides of a homosexual relationship. And it is impossible, it is impossible to read these verses and see it as in any way being condoned by God. It is clearly being described as a sinful relationship. And, and certainly every place that homosexuality is mentioned in the Bible, and it's mentioned many places, every place it's mentioned, it is mentioned as being sinful. I picked up a, uh, a Bible dictionary as I was studying this, and, and uh, I didn't pick it up. It was on my computer, and I clicked on this particular verse, and this passage came up from this Bible dictionary. And the very first sentence says, The Bible nowhere speaks directly to the matter of homosexuality. And I thought, What? Who, does this guy even have a Bible? He obviously didn't even read any of it because it's clear it's all throughout. Leviticus chapter 18, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus chapter 20, if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood should be upon them. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said, knowing this, the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites or homosexuals, for kidnappers, for liars, perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Those are just a few verses. There are others. Romans chapter 1 talks about it. The fact is, every place homosexuality is mentioned in the Bible, it's described as sin. In just over a month now, some of us are going to take a trip to Israel, right? Right. Right. right? And there are many wonderful things to see there. I, I have had the privilege, Beth and I have had the privilege of being there twice now, and, and there are just some things that are, when you see them, they forever alter the way you look at the Bible. Uh, the garden tomb is a breathtaking sight to stand in where many people believe the Lord Jesus Christ's body was placed directly from the cross. And from whence his resurrected body burst forth to stand there in that very place, it will forever change you. And there are other things like that, too. But there's one, one site that comes to my mind right now. It's a place called Masada. I was just telling Connie about this this morning. She's going to have to climb a very big mountain. Masada is a huge mountain in the south of, of uh, Israel. And it's, uh, it's kind of like our Alamo. The, uh, you know, we always say remember the Alamo because it was the site of a, a great last stand. Masada also in the times of the Romans, there was a group of, of uh, Jewish uh, zealots who holed up on the top of Masada. Herod had a monstrous fortress, impregnable fortress on the top of this mountain. And they holed up there and held out against the Roman army for a long period of time before they were finally defeated there. But uh, where we say remember the Alamo, the Israeli uh, soldiers, they will, they will practice and drill on the top of this mountain and they will say Masada shall never fall again. It's just, it's just a really cool place. 
But the thing that I remember about it that always touches my heart the most is not the mountain, not the fortress, not any of that nationalistic part. It is the fact that that mountain overlooks the very southern tip of the Dead Sea. And you are so high in the air that when you look down at the tip of the Red Sea, you have, it's like looking at a map. You can see the whole, all of the Red Sea there, the southernmost end of it. And of course, if you know your Bible, you know that that's where Sodom and Gomorrah were located. And I remember the very first time I looked down at that, a verse came to my mind. It was a verse from Genesis chapter 13, where it says that Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zor. It was lush. It was beautiful. And you look down at it now, and I, I guarantee you there is not a deader spot on the face of this planet than that now. There is not one bit of life anywhere. And my thought, the thought that came to my mind every time I've looked down there, and I'm sure it'll strike me again this next time, is what an amazing picture of the judgment of God. What an amazing picture of God's attitude towards sin. It just screams it at you. It was lush and beautiful. And now there is nothing there. And I share that illustration with you this morning only to point out that homosexuality was part of the reason that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. I would not be honest with my Bible if I said it was the only reason. I, 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 can't, I can't believe that. But I also wouldn't be honest if I said it played no part. There are those who say that. They're lying to you. Read your Bibles. Read Genesis chapter 18 and 19. Read it yourself. You're intelligent people. See if you don't agree. The Bible is clear that homosexuality is a real issue. It's described in real and clear terms, always referred to as sin. Is it a choice? Of course. All sin is a choice. Is it a tendency with which a person is born? Of course, as is all sin. But it is sin. Now let's stop here and let, let me make a couple things very, very, very clear. I do not believe in verses 9 and 10 here that Paul is saying homosexuals don't inherit the kingdom of God. I believe he is saying sinners don't inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think his point here is to single out any particular sin. I think his point is to say that those who die as sinners die lost, go to hell, and miss out on the kingdom of God. Look at that list of sins in verse number 10. Thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. Look at it. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites. All, there's all kinds of things in that list. Homosexuality is in there. There's no doubt about it. So also is, uh, is uh, those who would live together outside of marriage. Fornication. So also is the viewing of pornography, which would be another form of fornication. So also is putting things ahead of God in your life. You see the word idolatry in there? So is being discontented with what God has given you. you see the word covetous in there? So is drunkenness. So is saying unkind things about others. Revilers. So is dishonesty and cheating. You see that word extortioners in there? That's a pretty comprehensive list. It just doesn't talk about homosexuality. It's talking about sin. It's talking about sin. And I doubt any of us escape finding ourselves somewhere in that list. So here's what Paul's doing. Paul is reminding the Corinthians of what they were saved from. Some of them had been saved out of homosexuality. What a glorious truth that is. Redemption is available to all. Some of them had been, but all of them had been saved from sin. 
So the first thing we've got to be clear about is Paul's not saying that homosexuals don't inherit the kingdom of God. And the second thing, which I've hinted at a little bit, is this. Redemption is the point. Such were some of you, but you were washed. Verse number 11 says. We'll come back to that verse in just a minute, but we have to notice it's import before leaving. God loves sinners. All sinners. That includes homosexuals. It is not inconsistent to recognize that God hates sin, but loves the sinner. He loves sinners so much he sent his son to die for them. He loves sinners so much he sent his son to cover their sin, to atone for their sin, to pay the debt owed for their sin. God loves sinners just like you, just like me, and just like homosexuals. Such were some of you, Corinthians, but God saved you, redeemed you, washed you, set you apart for him, and declared you forever and totally righteous. Well, Let's look at the second thought. The second thought I see in here is our liberty in Christ. And I see this in verses 12 through 20. Verses 12 through 20. You know, there's kind of a common problem that we see all throughout chapter 6. And maybe it really is even in the, whole, in the first six chapters. I think we might, be, we might say that this problem exists. And Paul's dealing with it throughout all of them. The Corinthian believers were not living like Christians. Rather, they were living like the world. Haven't we seen that all throughout the divisiveness in the first few chapters? Uh, they're taking each other to court. We saw last week and, and that. Here, here was a, a bunch of people clearly saved. Paul has made it very clear that he's talking to a saved group of people, but living as sinners. So whether we consider the bickering and squabbling of verses 1 through 8, or the list of sinful behaviors Paul's just applied to them in verses 9 through 10, the, the fact of their sinful lifestyle is evident. They were living like the world. Saved people. They had believed, been saved, living like the world. And apparently they thought such was perfectly acceptable behavior, and they'd even come up with a way to explain it. They'd even come up with a way to describe what they were, uh, what their justification was for that. Look at verse number 12. Verse number 12 says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Most Bible commentaries that you pick up will say that that little phrase, All things are lawful for me, was a common saying that, they, that Paul was repeating back. It was something they used all the time to justify. I can do whatever I need to do because all things are lawful for me. And so he's repeating that back to them and then answering them what he has to think about that. I don't hear too many people say that today. Did you ever hear anybody say all things are lawful for me? I don't hear that phrase, even though it's biblical. I hear this one, though, a lot. I have liberty in Christ. We talked about this this morning. I have liberty in Christ. Do we ever hear that in evangelical circles? Of course we do. We hear it all the time. But the problem here is this group of people were presuming upon their liberty in Christ. It's interesting that Paul did not deny their point. They're saying all things are lawful for me. And he didn't come back and say, nope, you're wrong. He didn't do that. He did not deny their point at all. Uh, He didn't compliment them on it either. For though it was technically true, it was still far from where they ought to have been. He pointed out that there are other considerations to weigh against the all things are lawful argument. He said all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. It may be true that it's legal in the eyes of God, but it's not necessarily good. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's good, doesn't mean it's helpful, doesn't mean it's profitable. He said just because it's legal doesn't mean it's safe. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Many things can control us. And enslave us in the flesh. He's talking a lot about sexual sin in this chapter. And that is certainly true of that particular type of sin. 
It's interesting, is it not, that further on down he says, verse number 18, flee sexual immorality. You know, that's only one of a couple of things that that's ever said of. Some people would say, you know, I can, I can allow that kind of stuff to touch my life. I can look at that. I can go there. Uh, I'm spiritual enough. I can handle it. The Bible doesn't say that about this type of sin. It says run from it as fast as you can run. Go to the Old Testament and look at the story of Joseph, who, when tempted by Potiphar's wife, turned around and beat it out of her. That's an illustration of what Paul is saying here. So it might be legal. I mean, we do have liberty in Christ. Nothing as a believer, uh, as a believer, nothing that we're going to do in this flesh is going to send us to hell. It might be legal. But it's not safe. It might control us. It might enslave us. Paul says we ought to run from it. And then he says also, just because it's legal doesn't mean it glorifies God. The last few verses, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but the last few verses here, he, he, he goes into an amazing argument here. It's really interesting. He says, your body is meant for God. And notice he talks here about all three members of the Trinity. All three members of the Trinity uh, have some claim on your body. The Son is mentioned in verse 15, the Spirit in verse 19, and the Father in verse number 20. And here's the argument he's making. He's saying, how do I take this body? which belongs to God, and use it in a way that so displeases him. These hands, these feet, the eyes, mouth, mind, they're all the instruments Christ wants to use to reach my world. Isn't that what he's saying in verse number 15? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Is it right then to take them and use them for sinful purposes? This body is a temple. It's indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that what he's saying in verse number 19? And so is it right to drag the Spirit of God around to sinful places and activities? He says, this body doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. Isn't that what uh, verse number 20 says? He bought it. He paid a price for it. It is meant to bring him glory. And so although we have liberty in Christ, he doesn't deny that. That truth has to be weighed against a higher standard to which all Christians should strive. Flip over just a couple of pages in your Bible to chapter 10. Chapter 10 in Luke at verse 31. He comes back and touches on it here. And I think this is kind of sums up what he's saying. Chapter 10, verse 31, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we've seen then that there is a thought in this passage about homosexuality. We've seen then that there is a, pa- a thought in this passage about, uh, well, and it's not, I, sh- I should go back. There's a thought about not just homosexuality, sin in general. We've seen also that there's a thought in this passage about our liberty in Christ. But let's, let's notice what I believe is the most important thought, and maybe one that will make these other two things make more sense. I want us to think about verse number 11. Verse number 11 for the rest of our time, because I believe it's the key. The key. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What a verse. You know, there are a lot of important words and phrases in this passage. But there is a word in that particular verse that has just been beating in my mind throughout this week. And that is that little word, were. Were. What a word. It's mentioned five times in verse 11, four times in verse 11, and one time in verse number 20. Where it says also there that you were bought at a price. Oh, we need to think about that word. And we need to meditate on the importance of that word in our life. Were. It's a wonderful, wonderful Word, You know what? I think Paul is saying something there, which kind of clarifies everything else he's saying. Here's what he's saying. You are not what you once were. So don't live as you once lived. 
And I think that principle overshadows everything else he said. You are not what you once were. Why would you live as you once lived? In the first eight verses, we learn that Christians don't take Christians to court over trivial matters. Why not? Because you were changed. And your priorities changed. The glory of God, the reputation of his church, the evangelism of the lost, those are the things that matter to us now. Not petty issues. You're not what you once were. Why then would you live as you once lived? Christians have been saved from all kinds of things. He lists some of them here, as we've talked about this morning. The sin that so easily besets us is common to all of us. All of us. But we, as believers, strive to put away sin and live for the glory of God. Why? Because we are not what we once were. Why should we then live as we once lived? Christians, he said, can technically do anything they want to do, for we have liberty in Christ, but we don't. Why don't we? Because we now live to a higher standard than the law. Because we are not what we once were, and therefore we ought not to live as we once lived. The little chorus says, I've been changed. I've been newborn. All my life has been rearranged. What a difference it made when the Lord came and stayed in my heart. Yes, I've been changed. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Corinthians, Paul says, look what God has done for you. How can you not live to his glory now? You were enslaved to all kinds of sins, he says. You were lost and undone. You were sinners with your eternal destiny set for hell. You were alienated from God, enemies of God, lost forever. But then glory to God, you were washed. Do you see that there? You were washed. Titus chapter 3, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Oh, you were washed. And then you were sanctified. You were set apart. Be his special treasure, his adopted child. And then you were justified. You were declared to be forever and totally righteous, just, without sin in his eyes. What power in that little word were. We are not what we once were. So let us not live as we once lived. Let us now live to a higher standard. Let's live up to what we are, not live according to what we were. I think that Paul was teaching here that if the Corinthians would simply live according to that particular truth, they wouldn't be bickering and squabbling with each other. They would be taken care of by that truth. They would not be making excuses to justify living a life that didn't glorify God. They would not be thinking about those things. They would live up to what they are rather than what they were. Well, let me end this morning with a question. Let me just ask you something for you to think about, and then we'll be done. What does that word mean to you? That little word, were. What does it mean to you? Can you say that you were a sinner, but no longer? Can you echo the hymn writer's words who said, I was once a sinner, but I came pardoned to receive from my Lord. This was freely given, and I found that he always kept his word. Can you say that? Do you know that there was a time when you were washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you know that 
there was a time when you were adopted into the family and set apart to God? Do you know that there was a time when you were justified, made clean and righteous by the blood of Christ? If the answer to that question is yes, then you can rejoice with the rest of us who look forward to a glorious eternity in heaven. The rest of us who say that we were lost, but we're now found. We were on our way to hell, but we now look forward to heaven. Amen. But if your answer is no, let me just talk to you for just a second. Let me just end my message this morning with a few comments for you, because I want to encourage you about something this morning. If your answer is no, I have good news for you. It's not too late. It's not too late. Look at that list in verses 9 and 10 again. If there's a truth that screams out at me from that verse, it's this. God can save and clean up anybody. Anybody. No matter what's in your life. God saves sinners. He wants to save you. You don't have to stay where you are. No matter your state. Is your burden heavy? Songwriter said. As you bear it all along, alone, does the road you travel harbor dangers yet unknown? Are you growing weary in the struggle of it all? Jesus will help you. Jesus will help you when on his name you call. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Oh, if I could get anything across today. I hope that no one walks out of this place thinking I preached a sermon on homosexuality today. I hope nobody goes out of this place thinking I preached a sermon on liberty in Christ those were just subpoints. This is the point. This is the point. Oh, that we could convince you of it. Some of you possibly have noticed that I have been a little testy lately, trying to think of a proper word to use, (coughs) a little down. The devil's been working on me lately, and that's something he does to preachers. Brother Phil could no doubt attest. And he's been working on me. So this past week I was... past week I was sitting at my desk at work. Most of you know I work a job. I work at Hiram College. I was sitting at my desk and I was in an absolute funk. I was absolutely thumbsucky. I was thinking about all of all the things I had to be upset about, which is a very long list. <coughs> and it almost seemed like the Lord just kind of walked up beside me. whispered in my ear. He said, do you know what today is? And I looked at my calendar, and it was May 3rd. I don't know why this is bothering me so much today, but it is May 3rd, which just happened to be my 42nd spiritual birthday. And you know, as I thought about that for a few minutes, and I thought about the time, that I stepped forward in this little church and knelt here at this altar. Not here, because the altar wasn't there then. Here, which is where the altar was then. 
And I, I don't remember exactly what I said. I was 12 years old. I, I just remember that I had the thought that I was lost and I needed to be saved. And I remember talking to the Lord about that and telling him, I've, you know, I've heard that you saved sinners and I need to be saved. And he did. And you know, all that thumb suckiness, all that funk, all that upset nonsense that I was going through just disappeared as I reminded myself of all God had done for me. And as I reminded myself of how he saved me. Listen. Listen to God this morning. He is calling to sinners, no matter what the situation in your life, you can be washed cleaner than clean, whiter than snow. You can be sanctified. You can be justified forever. And all you need to do is ask for it today. And you can join those of us who can say, we are not what we were.